This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak, and this is episode 60 with April Kirkwood. You guys... It is February. How are we feeling about that? Because I know there are feelings about January no longer being here. And people say people give up on themselves if they haven't completed all their resolutions. Also, there's a feeling about love being this holiday right around the corner. And what if we don't have it? Or what if we have it? And we're not going to sure it's going to last. And all these things. I've decided that I'm going to do a challenge. And that challenge is going to be answering a question each and every day from my workbook. It's for sale on breakupward.com slash shop. I actually answered three of the questions in one of my early episodes on Thank You Heartbreak. It's the most popular episode. I never expected it. It was highly confessional. I'm not going to go back and listen to it because I'm going to re-answer the first three questions as I answer all the questions throughout the month. And after I've recorded it, I'm curious about how my responses have changed in the months since. Now, each of the days will be a question that helps you consider and rethink and really go there about a breakup. And this doesn't just have to be the last breakup. It can be ones that you never really regarded before or could benefit from regarding now. So I'm excited to do it. I hope I can keep with it. I can't believe I'm putting another episode on my list, especially one every day. Hopefully they will be short and sweet and thoughtful. But I want to see if I can do it. And I think that having that sort of support every day throughout the month of February can be encouraging and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully profound and can really just help us pivot and feel connected and supported as we always need to, but maybe especially need to in the month of February. That begins later today. I think I'm going to do the episodes in the evenings. I'll put them out. We will see, of course. But this episode is light, bright, and that's all because of my guest, April. She's spunky. She's vibrant. She's vivacious. There's just a lot of good words I could use, a lot of great mystical upper words. She has an energy that brings you up, and I'm excited for that. It's a bit of a shorter episode, and about halfway through, she unexpectedly, I love it though, asked me questions and kind of turned it to inquire about me. And that makes sense because for 25 years, she's been working as an educator and now she's a certified licensed professional counselor. So of course she has questions for me and good questions like, what's the origin to the story you tell yourself? Or how did something hurt or exacerbate the story you tell yourself? Damn, and I thought I had the questions, but she has some really necessary ones. I'm excited to just get into this episode. My last intro was 18 minutes long, so 
I'm going to just cut this one back so you can really feel the energy of April. And it's kind of interesting because she has a love story about falling in love with a rock star, the man of the four seasons, Frankie Valli. And we're all pretty interested in celebrity romances. I mean, maybe that's a generalization, but people do like to hear about them. And I love myself a good reality TV show. So this kind of would have been the platform, but somehow we didn't veer too much into that. And it was much more spiritual based and faith based and just mindset. So instead of all the gossip, you'll get a little, but it's deeper than that. It is deeper. Let's get into this. Thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to hopefully spend our February together every single day with episodes from me for you. And also two episodes each week, like I've been doing with guests. Thanks guys. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I'm just going to ask you to introduce yourself and we'll just start going. Is that good? Okay. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready, I think. I'd love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. Hi, my name is April Kirkwood. I am just a normal woman trying to make it through life. I am a licensed therapist as well as a single mom, and I've been a guidance counselor for years. And right now, I am in the midst of healing and doing workshops about my new book, Working My Way Back to Me, after finding out that I spent 30 years in an on-and-off affair with a celebrity for all of the wrong reasons. And it was an epiphany to me and a lot of hard work, but it was well worth it because I found my way back. And I'm here to share that that can happen for everybody. Everyone can find their way back. Is finding your way back, I mean, it's kind of like Marianne Williamson, right? Return to love. Exactly. I always have this feeling that life isn't necessarily about creating yourself. It's about returning to yourself. Really, I love Marianne Williamson. And we are divine. When we come into earth, we forget that by the age of three and four, we've forgotten our past lives. We don't even remember the first three years of life by the time we're seven or eight years old. There is so much that is unseen. And I believe very much like Marianne that more is unseen going on than seen. So we come into the earth like these beautiful spiritual beings ready to learn the lessons. We forget what the lessons are, and then we have to interact with all of these people who have also forgotten the lessons and are stumbling through. That's why I'm never really angry at anyone, or I forgive everyone almost immediately, as Source does. There is no real judgment. You ask, oh, Lord, forgive me. It's forgiven. Mm. Move on. But it's ourselves who are caught up with guilt, being stuck in the story. The story that we are a certain race, a certain creed, we modeled behaviors about men, women, love, what a good person is, what a good person isn't. And the rest of our lives are probably entangled in trying to untangle that and find out who we truly are. So it's kind of like we come in beautiful and hopefully we leave beautiful and in the middle are all of this stuff 
and we have to, to find our way back. And it's a beautiful experience. I'm not angry at anything or anyone. I just think everyone's as hurt and messed up as everyone else. Just some people They're, don't admit it or, you know. They don't admit it and they don't recognize it. And there were times I didn't recognize it. I get my master's and, you know, I'm a counselor and I got this. And then I, as I grew and my heart was broken and I saw things happen around me. And because of the interest I had in spirituality and the mind-soul-body connection. I was open to Eastern, Western thought, Deepak Chopra. And I realized that, gosh, I'm so much more than this pair of shoes that I wear every day. And that's a metaphor. Because we're walking around, we're asleep. We don't even know who we are, especially in love. People are called into, you know, why we're attracted to people. And I'm going to say it since you mentioned this spiritually, I really believe we're attracted to people that bring up the issues we need to find out totally. about ourselves. And even though she's far away from Marianne Williamson, Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, her definition of soul yeah. is about how it's someone that comes into your life to basically shake you awake to yourself and what you need to essentially work on. And I'm the same way. I'm not mad at Frankie. People say their first snap judgment is, oh, you still love him. You want him back. No, <laughs> he's 83. I'm 60. I'm in a different space, but I have no ill will. And I recognize that he's such a big part of my life and who I am. And he is really under my skin, as his one of his songs are, mm. in a very, very special way as everyone that I've loved. Mm. And I haven't loved that many people, but I hold everyone, even my mother who was abusive and in many ways, subconsciously, she was a borderline personality disorder and she adored me. She mm. would kill for me, but also she'd throw me under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about confusing, you know, and then I would go to church and my mother would be at the altar crying and, you know, and then she'd come back and she still had the same mental health issues. Right. And then she started to self-medicate and then she became addicted to prescription drugs. And she was so beautiful. The psychiatrist always had an affair with her. Oh my gosh. So, you know, but these are things I am so grateful. You know, now I'm a therapist watch, you know, for transference. My son had a drug problem because of my mother. And because of me, I'm out working. I'm a guidance counselor. I'm thinking I'm doing the best thing I can. I'm letting him stay with grandma and grandpa. Oh, wow. Biggest mistake. But that's okay. My son's well, and I've learned I am a different being. And, and hopefully the next time we speak, I'll be a different being again. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't shout that I'm perfect. I do shout that I'm open to a change in perspective, which is a miracle. That is my definition of a miracle. Nothing more than a shift in perception. And you see, even death is a shift in perception. How so? Even, I mean, people say that, well, when I, you die, you know, I want healed. Sometimes death is the healing. Mm -hmm. You step out of that broken shell and that glove that your soul has been in, and you let the glove go because it's warm, and you, you move on. You've moved on for maybe two reasons. Number one, you've learned your lessons, or number two, you're not going to learn anymore, and it's time to go. One person, hopefully both of them at the same time, but usually it's one person has learned the lesson or is ready to learn the lesson, and that's why they go. 
Right. And their leaving does more to help the other person learn the lesson. As long as we stay in the toxicity or the same unhealthy environment that we feed off of each other, it would be nice if both people said, I'm not learning anymore. We've reached our limit. Right. But usually, sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Usually it doesn't. Usually it does not. No. And that's when we get into grievances and Mm. anger and bitterness. And that's another lesson. Are these experiences going to make us better or bitter? Mm. But we have a choice. You know, I remember Oprah Winfrey once on one of her shows, she said, I get up every morning and say, God, please don't make me learn this lesson. Let me be grateful. Let me be humble. Let me give. Because he loves us so much. He'll give us the lessons. Again and again and again. Wait, what does that mean? What does she mean by that? Let me not learn the lesson? Don't make me learn this the hard way. Let me know what forgiveness is. Let me know what kindness is. Let me know what humility is. Let me know how to serve. Example, I'll just use her. She has so much money, right? She could be selfish and greedy. But because she knows, uh uh-uh, that's not what I'm here to do, and she serves and gives, she didn't have to learn the lesson of maybe losing her show, losing her money, bankrupting herself. I always talk about why some people have perfect lives, so to speak. No one has a perfect life, but you know, you look at them, we don't really know what's going on. But second of all, some people have learned a lot of this. They're here for different reasons. You know, maybe they're just here to learn how to be on this planet. Maybe they're just here to learn how to be a parent. That's why you can't judge anybody. You can't judge anybody because, first of all, when you judge someone, you make one person right and one person wrong. You know, it it always blows my mind. I am God's most important child. I am no more important than anybody else. That's hard to digest. God loves me so much, but he loves Chelsea so much and Marianne so much. And, you know, he loves us all. So we're all so special, but yet we're all so the same. I have a question. Like, you know, after a breakup and you're thinking about your new partner and how they can be with Mm -hmm. someone else and suddenly that person in your mind is more important than you. How do you work with that? Because I think that what you're saying with God is this lesson that we're all important and that's accepting that. And we're so caught up in today's world of being the most special, of you know, right. most fans. And I am too. You yeah. know, like I see Marianne and I go, oh, my message is nothing compared to hers. Right. <laughs> she knows the Course in Miracles backwards, frontwards. I just keep doing the lessons over and over again. But I think that's when it comes to, and this is what I missed out going to church myself. I never was kind to myself, admirable to myself. Everyone else looked better than me, did better than me. And I also think that's our culture because that's how marketing is. You know, go out here and you'll look as good as her. Go dance as good as her. Do yoga, be as lean, eat well. We are more stressed out and more anxious than we've ever been in the history of America. So on some levels, we are gaining a lot. And in other avenues, we are losing a lot. And I think it's a double-edged sword, the social media. And the spread out families and the working 24 hours a day because, you know, we're online, we're on this. Luckily, my kids are grown and they don't, I couldn't do this if I had a 10 year old. I'd probably have to be taking somebody to soccer right now. You know, I mean, it's very, very difficult. This is the perfect time for me to do this. Mm. 
See, everything has a time. And, and I used to throw myself <laughs> like, I don't have all these masters. What am I going to do? And I'm not doing anything. I'm just making dinner. I am doing something. I'm making right. dinner for the right. two most important people in my world. Which, by the way, I can't do for myself one day of the week. So, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I look at that as pretty uh, plaudible. Yeah. Right. It's living in the now. Yeah. And Marianne talks about that. Living in the present, it will all take care of itself. My little girl used to say, Mom, it'll, it all works out. It always works out for us. And sometimes I have to remember that. Like that little girl who say to me, Mommy, don't cry. It'll all work out. And didn't it? It did. And someday I won't be here anymore. And I hope some of these words resonate to them and other people. It will all work out. But you need to have an open heart. You need to be able to think outside the box. And if you can't right now because your heart is broken, just pray. And I always say this, God, I'm willing to see this differently. Show me something. Mm. Show me something. If I'm not seeing it, show it to me. Because I I don't like this feeling. Mm. Could you put an example behind that of when you've had to ask for that and what you saw next? Yeah, I was in a relationship that was very bad. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And that person became terminally ill. And I didn't know what to do again. I what? And that's when I wrote my book, Mm. working my way back to me. And I thought, you know, this person has given me time Mm. to take care and be there for him, but yet really find my place. I thought, wow, what a gift. Even though he was SOB and mean, mm-hmm. or what, it was a gift. That's what I mean. People come in and out. And that's another thing in love. We always dream that it's going to be forever. Nothing's forever. Nothing except us. But yet everything's forever. <laughs> that, that's a dichotomy. Yeah, right. relationships, relationships change. People right. come in and out. Yes. My probably the most constant thing in, in most people's lives are your family members. You know, your mom's always your mom. Your dad, but they won't be here forever. That will change. There is a change. But I never give up my relationships with those people. And I've learned. So this man, say he dies and he's gone, but that relationship will just change forms. And it will change to someone who gave me a lot of opportunities. And what do I know? Maybe they're watching. Maybe they're still inspiring me to be better. So incredible when you think about really the people that you've chosen romantically in your life. Such a large influence. And the people that don't acknowledge because out of bitterness or like regret, whatever it is, wanting to numb out, it's such a missed opportunity because think about all the people we meet in our lives and somehow we've chosen this person. Right. I think about every ex of mine. They run through (laughs) me. No, but they there's a trace of them throughout. Yes, and there's a trace of what they left me. I, I had a very bad affair with a professor. Believe it or not, he was married. I fell madly in love. He was older, blah, blah, blah. He helped me get my master's. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Well, that's great. I mean, you know, I mean, he spoke six languages and he manipulated the hell out of me. But God, I got my master's. <laughs> yeah. and, and I mean, you know, he, he, he didn't leave me nothing. My husband gave me two beautiful children who I absolutely worship. The man I was talking about gave me this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, one man taught me how to dress beautifully and be an elegant woman and travel. Wow. I mean, I went a lot of places <laughs> and I learned I became a more elegant woman. Wow. 
And I'm sure that if they would think about it, you know, the thing of it is we just become so nasty. If you've seen women who are older, you would never want to walk up to them in a bar or a nightclub and say hello. <laughs> You'd be like, shit. Uh, oh, God. She's not happy, Camper. And you're so funny. <laughs> Hashtag nasty woman. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, whoa, what happened to her? And you know what I said? What? See that woman over there? Somebody broke her heart. Somebody broke her heart. And so that is the woman who really needs the most love. I really walk in and, you know, I, I work the room. I'm happy. But that took me years. You know, it took me years of learning that my best friend is right beside me. And that's my Holy Spirit, God. And I was loved, even in the midst. If you read my book, it was voted one of the saddest stories of this year. I was like, really? And I thought, was my life that messed up? For teenagers on fucking.com. And I was like, that's really insightful. You know, even these experiences, I will walk away from this conversation and think about everything you said for four or five days, maybe oh, longer. I'm the same exact way. And so we met. I mean, isn't that magnificent? We met, we joined, our souls united, not to be all biblical, but they say whenever two or more are joined together, this is a holy place. Mm, yeah, I have heard that. Yeah. We're in a holy place, you and I, right now. Does it get any better? So why should we hang up no matter what our present is and be lonely? Mm. I just connected with a beautiful young soul or old soul in a young body. Yeah. Talk more I'm about thrilled. that because people like, I, like what you're saying about how it took years to be able to work a crowd and that happens because you don't feel lonely within yourself. And you said that you felt like, you know, this person next to you, this spirit next to you and the fact that we can get off the phone and we can still feel uplifted. And a lot of the times that people will have something like this and then they'll hang up the phone and they'll feel automatically down. How did someone carry the fact that they were just connected with someone and now that they're not, it doesn't mean that they don't have to be lonely. They don't have to feel lonely. I think we have to understand, and that's where I would go back to Deepak Chopra, that we are energy forms that are always connected. Like uh, my ex-husband died. I think I like him better now dead, quite honestly, than I do now. And I really love him. And, you know, there's times when I can almost feel his presence or a joke or, or look at somebody's eyes. And, and, you know, it's like, God, I loved him. Yeah. It didn't work out that well this time, but God, I really loved him. So when you, number one, begin to realize that we are cosmic creatures full of all of these, this energy going faster than light speed, that we are creators of all of this. Number one, you have no one to blame but yourself. Number two, they came in to learn with you, for you, about you, and on their own stuff. Mm. Why should we expect people to be perfect when we're not? Mm -hmm. We demand so much from our relationships. I don't know if we have watched too many romantic stories, read too many novels, but they're not here to save us. Right. They're not here to make us right. Or make us happy so all the time. I heard that last yeah. night. It's like, no, get that out of your mind that you're going to find this perfect relationship and you'll <laughs> always be happy from here on out. Songs like I'll put on, right. you know, uh, Alexa, and it's I need you, you fill up my life, you're right. a church, I want to make love to you like a god, I have fresh eyes, you fill up the loneliness, I can't be without. Come on, I mean, that sets us up for so much. Not that I don't love deeply like that, but I don't put all that pressure on them. 
And I don't want someone to do it to me either. Right. I and I think that's, save you. that's what I've noticed more, by the way, is I've begun to notice when someone else is putting that pressure on me. And it's not that I am trying to push away from that and be like, don't put that on me. But I start to realize where they're at and how that neediness is not love. I recognize it because I was that way before. And so was I. But that's problematic. Grown. Yeah. And the thing is, is to not give in or cater to that because it's not coming from a healthy or, or, you know, self-inspired, empowered place. And when we do cave into it, we're caving into fear. Absolutely. And fear and love cannot coexist. If someone's doing things because they're afraid they're going to lose you or you're vice versa, or you're afraid that you're not good enough, two emotions cannot occupy the same space. So I always try to think, what space is this coming from? Am I being happy, assertive? Am I sending out good energy? Or am I faltering myself? Because I'm not perfect either. And there's moments I am afraid. And there's moments that I'm like, oh my God, if this happens, how am I going to pay my rent? But you have to just always stay in your place of power. When I get up in the morning, I put my feet down and I just look down for a second and put a circle around my feet in bright purple light, Mm -hmm. which is to me intuition. And I just try to walk in that place of intuition and power Mm -hmm. that I know what to do. Most of the time, I don't know what to do. I just just, follow my instincts. Mm -hmm. Or people would say your Holy Spirit or your intuition or your higher self. I don't care what anyone calls it. It is what it I is. Just, <laughs> call me an angel, call me a fairy, call me what you want, but just know that I, I'm here to serve and right. I'm here to love and so is everyone around you. But there is a lot of damaged people and that's why there's so much addiction. You know, even look at Kate Spade. Mm-hmm. She had everything and she killed herself. Doesn't that tell you a lot about our culture right now? You know what also tells me a lot about our culture is there's people obsessed with that story. Everyone was talking about it. And then like four days later, Anthony Bourdain, and now that was what was important. Mm -hmm. People forget so easily, by the way. Which makes us feel lonely, right? That makes me feel lonely. That makes me feel insignificant. And we talk about this all the time with my friends. Here today, gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. One conversation at a restaurant. Yeah, they might remember one or two things about you. She was pretty. She was funny. She was nice. She wasn't. Whatever. And next, can I order another drink, please? (laughs) Right. I mean, I love the message of Ariana Grande's song, but I hate the fact that it says, thank you, next. Why are we always rushing to the next thing? I just... I don't understand how... I don't know if it's fake news, but (laughs) I have no... Idea how these celebrities fall in love. I've only been in love at, like three times in my life. <laughs> I mean, how, how could they possibly fall in love that much, that quickly? Well, maybe it's a different concept of what love is. Maybe you just have a different oh. understanding. I mean, people are known to throw that around quite easily. And, and maybe the thing is that fear and anxiety, like you said, have increased. So to try to right. cure that and calm that, okay, please love me. I love you. And this will help it we're so anxious to reduce fear that we think love will support us and do that for us. And then they get divorced and then they move on and then they get, and I'm thinking they haven't even healed from the last three relationships. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Just <laughs> like, please just take a break, take a breath. Right. Oh, gosh. See, I personally believe in reincarnation. Yeah. So I personally, and I think a lot of the Eastern world does, I think we're one of the few nations that, you know, it's not the majority of belief systems, but we've loved many times. We've maybe loved the same people in different forms many times. 
what's the rush? Why don't we get it right for one? Mm. You know, slow down. What's the big deal? And also my body, I view the human body as sacred. That's where my soul lives. My soul resides in my body. I don't want to just slap that around to anybody. Right, right. I started to hear more women suddenly talking about that. It was like a certain, it was in July. I came across a lot of women that were saying like, I don't let just anyone enter my body. It's like an energy. Like they're just heard more people putting more value on sex. and, and Well, I think we're evolving and I think the women are evolving. I mean, I think we're evolving at a quick speed and I think, even the anger that the women may, some of women may have, like the Me Too movement, I think it will come back. You know, like, first of all, for maybe thousands of years, we were suppressed. Now we're on the other continuum and we're pissed. And hopefully we'll come into the middle where we own our power kindly, right. justly. Because if not, we're just as bad as the men. And we're on the other side punishing the men. <laughs> This is like my biggest talking point in a way. And I can, you know, you got to be so careful to talk about this. But I say it doesn't make any logical sense to go from we were restrained, we were in pain, and now we're going to put you in your place just like we were put in place. Like, no, now you're just as bad. Now you're creating the same division and dynamic. Exactly. But I think it's because this energy that we have, maybe this female energy, and I don't know, I'm trying to figure it out has been suppressed for so many yeah. hundreds of years that it's within us to want. Like maybe psychologically, we're striking back for things that happened, you know, many, right. many lifetimes ago. But you're right. It makes me sick. Yeah, because if you're this pissed about what's happening <laughs> right now, it's never been as good as it is right now. That's what I feel. Yeah. You've never been as free as right now. How can you be this pissed? Like, it's almost an insult to years and years prior what women were held against. When I was little, my mother didn't even have birth control pills out right then. They were out, but it wasn't a common thing. You couldn't just go and get them. No. Women were getting pregnant. They were they were taught to keep their knees closed and their ankles crossed. And it wasn't a good scene. And I was raised in an Italian community. And if you want to think of barbaric issues that men had, you know, keep her in the basement, like the Sopranos, go out with your girlfriend on Friday, go with your wife on Saturday, shut your mouth, give a lot of money to the church and do it again next week. I mean, we really evolved. How did you become so insightful at a young age? You know, my dad asked me this because he's kind of like, you didn't go through things that were that bad. I think that I felt a certain guilt when I was young for the privilege that I had. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I needed to make life more difficult for me in order to be relatable. There was just this pull at a really young age. I'll never forget, I was in elementary school, I was in the library, and I just had this feeling that I was here to leave a record, a trace of what it was like just to be one person at this time. And my sister, I have a twin sister, and she felt the same guilt too, and that's why she had an addiction problem. Problem. And I had an eating disorder where I was 80 pounds. And that was a big thing like weight at a young age, I guess, going from a model to gaining weight. That was my first kind of foreway or whatever the word is mm -hmm. into pain and into life just seeming to change, like people looking at me in a different way and feeling like something was taken from me. But at the same time, I gained something because I suddenly related to people more. I felt like I finally had something relatable to offer, which was dealing with hurt. 
And so from that point, I was always thinking through things. It was just the natural, like therapeutic way was to analyze and to do that openly. Like as when I was young, I had these journals online. So it was always in a public way that I was trying to understand what I was going through. I saw my yearbook recently when I, during Thanksgiving and I saw that it was a tribute to my exes. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, even then I was doing what I'm doing now. You know, there's almost things that... In in a sense, you can't explain like, yeah, why was I always, why was I always having to create meaning out of something? One of the questions you asked me on this was, I think it was, did you think this came from um, inside of yourself or from other distractions? And I think some of what we come in with is a predestined qualities and lessons that we are here to give and information that we have that's unique. Your individual soul print, that's what's part of you. And then you grew into this wealthy, affluent situation, and then you had to deal with that and find a justification somehow. And then you're like crawling your way out of this trap, like, wow, I sabotaged myself. What was that about? I think a big thing has been shame in my life. Uh, shame younger when I was in graduate school for having more time than other people or feeling like that was wrong. So I sabotaged that time. And for a, a big part of my life, I think has been overcoming living with resentment really toward myself. I really say my life began to change when my sister went into rehab because mm-hmm. it was a time where I could finally be honest with really my dad that I wasn't happy every day like he was Mm -hmm. and that I was really struggling behind the scenes. I always felt so responsible for that. I didn't feel ever like it wasn't my mom that it wasn't her fault that I became anorexic. You know, everyone wants to think it's the mother. It wasn't a boyfriend, the way he started to treat me that I became depressed within that relationship. There were so many times in my life where I was just breaking my own heart. This is a question that you'll have to think about. Did you go back and find out the origin of why that was set up like that? Like in my book, that book was going back to my origin and my story and finding out why I thought Frankie Valley was going to save me mm. at a young age. And wonder what made you and your sister, I understand now why you do what you do because you were born with that. Mm. And then you were put in this situation to learn the lesson. But what within that, story helped or hurt your ability to let that guilt go, either making you feel more guilty or less guilty. I would love to know that. So would you, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a few different answers, you know, I think that one that I've realized that, and I I saw it with my mom, like things with my mom, kind of not an addiction, but, you know, she was always in pain. And, And I look at it as, you know, were we trying to gain control? My dad is the biggest cheerleader of us. And he's almost afforded us this ability to go after your dreams. And yet that can feel like a burden. Oh my God, I can do anything. The only person stopping me is myself. Holy shit. Like I will be, you know why then if it doesn't work, you feel like failure. Oh, total failure. And so I think in a way it was like all these separate things were us putting up a sign, like just stop. 
And let me be I mean, normal. Let me right. screw up and be okay. And will you still cheer for me then? You know, it's one thing to say you can do anything, but does that mean that what I'm doing now is not enough? And you wouldn't cheer for me if this is all I was ever going to be. Right. Like if you were never a model or you never made money or you dropped out of graduate school and say, I'm just making this up. You were a really good hairdresser. Mm-hmm. Would your dad cheer you on? I don't know. I mean, would that be good enough? And I feel the same way. You know, if you're not doing all of these things, because I think we attribute who we are from outside things, from society's view of success, which is bullshit. And we still are. I mean, I still, it's hard to walk away from a society you live in. (laughs) Right. You know, my sister has said at times, she was like, oh my God, in one level, she's kind of envious of it because she feels like my parents feel like I'm going to make it big. But then mm-hmm. she's like, how do you deal with that pressure of anyone thinking that you're going to be so large? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know the answer to, is this enough? I know that my parents are really proud and they love just to see that I've reclaimed a lot of myself. You know, I went into isolation for years. I stuttered. I was shaking wow. all the time. Like I didn't speak to people and I had been the most social and known person growing up. And so I lost a huge, huge part of myself that I didn't think I would get back because it had been so long since I had it. So I think that no matter what, they see this evolution. How did you get back? Was there one moment? I know I'm interviewing you now. A series of choices over time, yeah. small acts, but I moved back to New York City. I went for this doctorate. I'll never forget sitting my dad down and being like, okay, I just got my master's, but guess what? I'm going to go be a clinical psychologist. I felt like I got scared. Like right. I need a straight path. I've been doing all these esoteric things and I was scared to ask for another degree. And really what he didn't know at the time, he loves education, but I was trying to buy myself more time because I didn't feel like I was enough yet. I didn't have enough. So I felt like more school would give me time. I moved back to New York City. It had been 10 years of long distance relationships. And I said, I have a chance again to do what I haven't done and knew all along that I needed to do. I can't go into moving to a new city again and get into a long distance relationship thinking that long distance relationship will protect me and provide me with a conversation that I'm too scared to go out and find out in this new city where I know no one. I always thought that they were going to protect me via that conversation and prevent me from having an eating disorder again because I wouldn't feel as alone. It mm-hmm. never worked. I just, they were an escape. I used it. I, I isolated myself. I suddenly had no reason to go meet anyone else because I couldn't wait to just talk to the person I love. I promised myself, and I put a lot of pressure on it, but I said, if I don't take care of myself here, I don't trust that I ever will. And so I remember moving back into my my new place where I'm at now and panicking, like thinking that I had it all together, like I was strong now. And literally the same feelings that I had had when I was in LA and ended up falling under 100 pounds again, I had again like in the city that I love. And I panicked. It felt like the scariest moment because I thought it was never going to happen for me. I went into this hotel room because my mom, you know, got me a hotel because I didn't have a bed. And I remember looking outside the hotel window and seeing all the people and say, will this always be the case that I'm never able to join the world? I made a promise to myself that I was going to have to go out back into the world and introduce myself. And it started at Bed Bath & Beyond. And I was shaking talking to someone. And then two years later, they reached out to me for relationship help. And I was like, this is how far I've come. But it was a slow process. It is. It's baby steps. I know that sounds cliche. No, but it is because 
I wasn't able to talk fluidly overnight. It was a lot of struggle and awkwardness. And all I can say is just, I, I feel like I always knew what I needed to do and never felt ready to do it. So I was like addicted to Adderall during that time. Always heard the voice say, stop Adderall and, and things will change. You'll be able to get your writing published. And after eight years, I finally decided the only move I could do. I was so desperate. I had to listen to the voice. And five <laughs> days later, I was published. And it always seems to happen a little bit that way, is listen to the voice. Well, and when you do the work yourself, then the doors open. The doors won't open usually for me anyhow until I do the work myself. No one really helps me until I, I help myself. No one, I realize, like, even with this, right? I realize no one is going to help people discover me. No one is going to do that work for me. I have to be my own best advocate, my best cheerleader. I can't live in resentment that my friends aren't trying to help me get more followers. No one got me here. So why would I expect that everyone's going to get me to the next place? You need people's support and help. And you know, you coming on, that's a part of fulfilling this dream. I realize that it's about including others. It's about not making it about myself all the time. And there are people that will help, but they are few and far between. And, and I will tell you that I, um, I've had that same experience this last year. You know, like, what do you think? They don't think anything. I have to think it. God, right? I'm always saying those words. I think, I think, I always say that. Me too. And I'm like, well, I I wonder what they think. And I might call Kat or somebody, you know, she helps me with my PR. And they don't come up with the ideas. I do. And then they go, oh, but then I walk away thinking, they should have thought of that. But it's not for them to think. I'm the thinker of the thought. And this is my life. I just interviewed someone a few hours ago. We were talking about the moments when I had the plan of what I was going to do, what felt like the most genuine move I could make. When I opened up the conversation to seek counsel with someone else and I chose that, it did not work out. And now the heartbreak is what would have happened if I had just done it my way? For example, after the election, you know, I had some friends that were like, give your friend space, give her time, don't talk to her. She needs to heal from the election. And I was like, wait, our relationship, we never spoke about the election. But okay, if you're saying that she needs space, what I didn't realize was that's what they needed. I should never have listened to that because what ended up happening was over a year went by and my best friend that I had spoken to almost every day I didn't speak to, and now was a little bit too late. And when we spoke, the reality was, unless she wasn't acknowledging it or being honest, she was never looking for that space. We didn't follow spirit. Right, right. And, this, and maybe that's the lesson for you or me and, and me too. My lesson is to be a little bit more like this noise in the background. It's like what perfect time. Like my, I'm on Instagram and all of a sudden it's blowing up. It's hilarious. Not a bad problem to have. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like, it's crazy. So, you know, I'm in the same situation and we're always working together. And I think you're really on the right path. I'm really proud of you. I mean, so what do you do professionally now? So I'm a breakup coach. Getting clients and maintaining all that feels scary and daunting at times. But other than that, what's really kept me going and kept me really understanding what the dream is, I've also got involved in all this background acting. So I've been, you know, commercials and tomorrow I'm working on the show Divorce. And so that has been supporting me as well. I wish you the very best of luck. You are adorable. And if there's anything I can do or get involved in, please, you know, you have a spiritual big sister here. And my daughter lives in Brooklyn. So, oh, really? So I'm always there. So, 
maybe if I reach out to you, perhaps we can uh, share some moments together and have coffee or a drink. I would love that. You are, you sound like an adorable, strong woman. And I just, I'll just do this because I always do this. I rub my hands together. So you have to close your eyes and relax, pretend we're in each other's aura. And let me say, I love you. I praise you. I appreciate you. You are God's child. Great things happen to you. Nothing can stop it. And so it is. Mm. I wish you the very best. Thank you. I have two final questions. Okay. I would love to hear what it means to you to break upward. I love that phrase. Did you make that up? Yes. That's my my business name. Yeah. I love breakup. Breaking up means taking something sad and making it a learning experience for you to become better. You know, one thing about love is each time you have a broken heart, you really learned a lot. It's almost like practicing walking. Each time you walk and fall, you get up, you get a little stronger, you get a little better. It's skill building as well. So we have the spiritual component of people meeting together. We're in a body with our mind. Our mind is learning skills. Our body is learning skills, how to read signs. So every breakup is just, if we choose to use that perspective, another chance for doors to open and for us to love more deeply. Mm. and be loved more deeply. And isn't that what life is about? Yes. I just love that you emphasize it's a choice. It's our choice. Right. We can stay where we are. We can stay in the same relationship. There's millions of married people I know that waiting for the other person to die. <laughs> like, I- I'm not giving up this money. I'm not giving up this house. Right. Well, I'll just sit it out and be miserable. That's such a waste. You know, this is no dress rehearsal. You will never be you again. I will never be me again in 2019. Mm. So once again, it's a dichotomy. We're all things, but yet we're just this right now. And that's okay. That's beautiful. Thank God we don't remember all that other stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You're really funny as well. It's great. (laughs) Tell my audience where they can find you. AprilKirkwood.com. I am a licensed LPC. I'm a therapist as well. So if you ever need somebody for early childhood trauma or relationships as well or healing, I'm there for you. I'm also on Instagram. I am the guidance counselor of love all ages from teenagers until, well, you're not interested in love anymore. If that ever happens, you know what they say, there's no fool like an old fool. Mm -hmm. And so as long as you're interested in love, join me on Instagram, on Facebook, Twitter, and I have a manual coming out in March on how I made my way back. It's called Working My Way Back to Me Manual. Right now you can get the book, Working My Way Back to Me on Amazon and some of the bookstores around. And it's on Kindle. And if you are old enough to remember Frankie Valley of the Four Seasons and the 60s and the mob, you might find it interesting. I know that there was like a South Florida, I'm from Miami component. So I'll be there. I go back on Friday. So please send me your email so that we can hook up. I'm always in New York. Okay, perfect. I will. I okay, would God bless you. You're thank adorable. You. Oh, thank you so much. I've, I needed that. Thank Spiritually, you. Spiritually, take me with you. I, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be your little angel on your shoulder. Yes, that's good. Let's do it. I can be your cheerleader. 
If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at BreakUpward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D, Com. And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching sessions, you can visit my website, breakupward.com slash shop, where you can check out directly from my site. It's a super, 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 super simple process. Of course, I will answer any of your questions before you book. And again, you can email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. There's many different coaching options. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone.